Welcome to the Inside Scoop Live podcast, where indie authors get personal about their books, their writing, and their passions. I'm your host, Sherry Hoyt. Join me for some lively conversations with debut indie authors and seasoned veterans alike. It's a great place to find your next amazing read or even get inspired. So sit back and enjoy the show and let me know what you think. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking with Brian Bellick about his debut novel, Someone's Story. It's a young adult coming-of-age story about someone, a teen navigating the trials of being a high school senior, and everything that goes with that, from dealing with high school cliques, to bullies, falling in and out of friendships, and the transition of going from being a student to an adult. Before we get started, here's the inside scoop on Brian. Brian Bellick was born in Richmond, B.C. and raised in Langley before settling in Winnipeg, Manitoba. His first adventure was a career in finance where he spent 15 years developing his business skills. Over that same period of time, he also attended Lights Film School where he started to nurture his early creative abilities. As a self-starter, always interested in research, Brian taught himself many of the aspects of storytelling through reading books, screenplays, and material online. Whenever he found an inspirational piece of art, he quickly went to the source to find the story behind the artist who created the work. It took many years of attending film school for him to finally combine his creative skills with his life experience and tell these stories he had been holding back. One of the aspects that make Bellick's projects unique is he includes musicians in his novels, and then he actually produces the songs as his book goes through the editing stages. During COVID-19, Bellick started a YouTube channel and was awarded a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts. He also pounded away on the keyboard to bring his second novel, Pulse, from his imagination to the page. To learn more about Brian Bellick and his work, visit his website at babellick.com. Well, hi, Brian. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad we finally connected. So why don't you kick us off by telling us a little bit about someone's story. Absolutely. So someone's story was my debut novel. Uh, the story itself is about being young, confused. It's an ode to friendship, loss and growing up while trying to understand the world around you. My goal was to try and transport the reader to high school and give them a first person perspective of what it was like to be a teenager going through a tough time. Yeah, yeah. I love that story. When did you get the idea behind your story? How And how long did it take you to bring the, your novel to fruition? Yeah, the story started in my mind back in probably 2016, 2017. And I was going through a bit of a late 20s rough patch trying to find my path in life. And I mm -hmm. started journaling as a way to kind of sort the things happening around me and in my past out. It took me two years of hobby writing. I was nine to five, normal job, and I would write on Fridays and Saturdays. After two years, I had 20-ish thousand words, and I was wondering, you know, maybe there's a story here. It's mm. not ready yet, but the journal starts to make sense as a story when you start to invent things to glue it together. Yeah, yeah, wow. So uh, two years is not a long time. Yeah, I would say, too, it was two years to get the bones built. I then spent a year actually writing it as a serious kind of author. Mm -hmm. So three years all in to go from idea to edited manuscript. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. So, so what was it like bringing your draft, your first draft to life by sharing it with another person for the very first time? 
So I don't have a background in writing, and Someone's Story was the first ever thing I made with the intention of perhaps even putting it in the public eye. The first few people I shared it with was a terrifying experience. I'm full of insecurities and doubt, and those few weeks when I was starting to share this for the first time, those thoughts were creeping through my mind like crazy. I was worried if it was good. I was worried if they would tell me the truth. I was in my uncharted waters, and I had no idea what to do next. I want to give a big thanks to my editors. Sheila Harris helped me finish the story with a few amazing brainstorming sessions and some structural advice. And then Sarah Ritchie came in and slaughtered my line level English with a <laughs> level of polish I will forever be grateful for. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you got to love your editors. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And they both came back for the next book, Pulse. Oh, nice. Nice. That's a bonus. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like editing is one of the biggest steps. You're representing yourself with that book, so you want to put your best foot forward, so to speak. I think yeah, a... no, I totally agree. I think you can see a lot of indie books that don't have the polish that maybe a small press would have. And this is how you, as a self-published author, bring your level of work up, is getting good editing done and polishing your work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the timing of everything. So you, you started it back in 2016. You actually published it in April of 2020, which was right when the lockdowns were all starting. Uh, was it your plan to publish that April or did the pandemic kind of spur it on a bit? No, when I decided to publish, the pandemic was just starting. And uh, in Canada and Winnipeg, we got our first kind of taste of the lockdown just at the tail end of March. And of course, at that time, we had no idea what it was going to turn into. I think many people thought it would be one or two, you know, two week periods. Right. And that was not the case at all. But no, so the pandemic wasn't a factor. The reason I picked the April date was because that's actually when my birthday is. Oh. And I kind of felt it was an interesting way of cross promoting to people in my past because I find a lot of people reach out to you around your birthday. Mm-hmm. And so by choosing to publish on or near my birthday, it brings a lot of people from my past over and they see the book right away. It's the first, if you haven't looked at my social media or anything in a year or two, the first thing you'll see is my book. Yeah, that's really smart. I've never heard of that angle before that. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so. Someone's story and me share a birthday. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Now I want to talk about the, the main character who is referred to as someone why did you create him as an anonymous character? Yeah, so that was one of the biggest editing decisions I made. Uh, as I said, it started as a journal. And when I was writing that first draft, it was always me. As I started to take the idea of turning it into a book seriously and develop my second draft, it became a work of fiction. And I just generically decided to name the character someone at that point. I don't like to slow my creative writing down. I will frequently leave a character name generically. So like if you look at some of my other writing, there's teacher, boss, very generic names and labels. <laughs> yeah. And I frequently, you know, day one of writing, I will just throw a label on a character and then just let the 10,000 words kind of flow. You can always circle back and change those names. So I, I had left someone as the name and always had the intention of circling back. Then what happened was I went through editing and a few people 
praised the decision, even though it was sort of an accident and maybe not the intention. I was like, well, I'll name him Ted or something one day. Yeah. The editing group loved it. They said, this is unique. I've never seen something so immersive. It's this weird. It works because you feel like you're in the story. Yeah. 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 So it was never going to come out once once we kind of realized we had struck gold and gotten about three quarters of the way through the editing process. It was like, no, this is permanent. This is staying someone. Yeah, that kind of took it to a different level for me. I mean, it felt like you were intentionally leaving someone obscure. And, um, you know, I kind of liken it to using genderless pronouns like they, them. (laughs) Yeah, so I I actually made this intentional choice on the second round of editing with my formal editor. We had a long discussion around pronoun usage and how we were going to describe things. And for a while, we weren't even going to have the character be male or female. We were just going to keep it as vague as possible. Mm -hmm. Then you ultimately did make someone a male character. Yeah. So then near the tail end, we did give the character a formal male gender. Yes. But it's very vague. So although there might be 10 or 15 moments where the gender is very obvious, most of it, it's very applicable to any person. Right. Now, what genre would you classify someone's story? I feel like it doesn't fit really neatly into one genre. Did you did you intentionally do some blending there? Yeah, so as an author, I like to think of myself as the genre bender. I don't really live in one spot. And even through both my books, if you look at Pulse, I'm probably knocking on the door of six genres with two books, which is an (laughs) impressive kind of blender of things going on. Uh, What I would say is with someone's story, there was a book that I kind of used as reference, and that's The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Mm. And if you were to break down that book, you'd see structurally, I'm doing a lot of the same things, but differently. Mm-hmm. So so that's where I get that coming of age roots and that feeling of being a drama story is that the idea of mirroring my structure around the perks of being a wallflower. Yeah. Now, I don't know how much you want to give away, but there's so there's someone and then there, there's his kind of high school friends, his team, so to speak. And then there's another someone in the background, this runner that we don't really know a lot about. Can you talk about him at all or do we want to keep him? pretty vague. Oh, I, I think that's a great observation. The The whole book is written first person, except for a few chapters that are more omnipresent. And what it is, is in the omnipresent chapters, there's a jogger running a winter themed ultra marathon. And so they're climbing this mountain and they're running through the snow. And they're all told without dialogue. They're very visceral. And sometimes he's having flashbacks and he's fighting through things in his mind. And it all kind of comes to a head near the end of the book when you start to feel these stories interconnect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I was first introduced to, I'll just call him the runner, (laughs) the runner someone, I was like, what, who is this person? You know, what does he have to do with the story? And then, like you said, it does come around at the end and it all ties together. But I loved that part of it, that just the, the mystery surrounding that person. Yeah. And and originally in the first draft there was only two chapters it was the beginning and the end of the book Mm. and the editor sarah ritchie and sheila harris they really liked this idea and we grew it and i think we added three to the body so there's five chapters overall from the runner point of view Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i want to quote what our reviewer said she said the writing is compelling and there is a darkness that surrounds you the entire time you're reading this novel now how are you able to capture that 
darkness. That, and do you know what she's talking about? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the darkness in my writing is a character trait in me, the person. And what it is, is that I kind of like gaining knowledge. And in doing that activity of gaining knowledge is you end up going through the darkest places in the human condition. And I frequently find myself going to those places the other people are maybe a little afraid of. Mm. And then once you're there and you have this knowledge, so whether it be around mental health or trauma, things that people don't like to talk about, but once you go there and you get the knowledge, I like to think that my pen is the way that I process and use that knowledge to turn it into lessons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that darkness is fueled by my day-to-day -day pursuit of knowledge. Okay. All right. Because I follow you on social media and, you know, we've talked a couple of times and, and I don't get any darkness from you at all. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So that goes back to the duality comment. And I do think there is a duality. I have a very different pen than I am as a person. I am dark and cerebral as a writer. And then I'm very light and joyful when you talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it works for your writing because you wouldn't have been able to write that story had you not had some of that inside you, I don't think. I agreed 100%. And, and I think too, if I didn't have the author pen to process all this darkness, I think I'm a worse person because I bottle it all up inside. Mm. And so the reason I'm able to walk around so light and, and be so positive is because I'm releasing my darkness on the page. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To me, someone's story stands apart from other books in your, well, we can't really classify it as one genre, but it stands out from other books. <laughs> and one of the ways that caught my attention was the music. Talk about the musical element that you incorporate into your stories. Absolutely. So I love music. Going back to when I was just a, a young teenager, I used to listen to so much music. I spent more time listening to music than actually learning in school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would always have my headphones on while I was walking to and from class or and if it was a uh, you know, an art class or some something that wasn't as ear needed, I was always listening to something. Yeah. So that's where the inspiration came from. Now, I tried a few times to play instruments. I was never that great. I always kind of looked at music as this mythical thing. <laughs> what happened when I was writing the book was I, I realized that all these things that you put in your mind that you can't do, it's really just you being your own worst enemy. Mm. And at the end of someone's story, I had always had music being a big part of the book. I decided, hey, I wrote a book. Maybe I can write a song, right? Just as a, on a whim. Like I was going through editing. I had, you know, an 85% done manuscript and I had two months of downtime. I was like, I'm going to try to make a song. Why not? I, I made a book. Let's make a song. <laughs> that song became Let Us Go, which is the first song we released. Yeah. And so Let Us Go was done at the time of publishing. It was the only song that was actually done. The other songs were all referenced in the book, but still in conceptual stage. Oh, okay. So at the time of releasing April 12th, only Let Us Go was done. Everything else was just a concept referenced in the book. And that's why if you pay attention to the lyrics used in the book, only Let Us Go specifically has lyrics and the other ones are just named. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I thought it was kind of planned all along. No, the EP materialized post-release, really. I, I always thought it would be great to do a song, mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I had such a fun time. I worked with a musician named Gus Reeves who had that great soulful voice. And after we got through the first song, I said, I got to keep working with you. I'm having so much fun. I'm learning. I feel more creative. So music has become a part of my writing process because I feel like it opens up new lanes in my mind I didn't have before. Absolutely. And you don't really see that very often either. I mean, I've maybe read one other author that's done that. I mean, I know there are more out there that do that, but uh, someone's story is one of the handful of books that I've read that uses a playlist. Yeah, and I think there's a, I've seen many a playlist where an author says, oh, this is what I was listening to while I wrote. I've gone that next level and actually created, I think there's 10 original songs now on YouTube, which is definitely a step, but I have my own created music, which is not just a playlist. Right, right. Yeah. Right, your own original songs. So yeah. now on your ebook, are there links available in the ebook? I know. So what, what I did was I've used the music a few different ways. There's links at the end of the book to the YouTube channels. Okay. So I have the various songs on my YouTube channel. I'm also on SoundCloud. And I usually do use a hyperlink near the end. What I have had some success with is using Wattpad and putting, you can actually embed YouTube videos. So using writing samples with embedded videos that just play as you scroll, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a few samples. They haven't been highly viewed, but it's a neat way of delivering a sample to a potential fan. Yeah. And that's kind of a unique marketing tool. And it brings up a point because we kind of talked earlier about publishing your book during the pandemic, but what was it like on the marketing side? So what I like to say is that Going into the pandemic, I was a social media dummy. I knew nothing, and I barely had ever been on social media. I always looked at it as a great tool to promote, but I had had nothing to promote. You know, up until that point, I had had a career in finance, and you don't really promote yourself when you're working for a company. Mm-hmm. So going into the pandemic, I had two kind of tasks in my mind. Task one, learn social media. Task two was pen my second book. I spent those first few lockdowns, three, four hours a day on social media. A lot of it wasn't posting. It was reading articles. It was studying other people, finding authors that were doing a good job on social media and trying to bring some of their stuff over to my platform. Mm. I, I definitely got involved in a few communities. So Bookstagram and Booktube, I interacted with hundreds of people and I've made a few great friends that I talk to once every couple of weeks through chats and DMs and whatnot. Yeah, and you do a great job on social media. I feel like I mean that is really social media is hard. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort and you know I just it's hard and, and a lot of authors shy away from it and I get it. But you do a great job. One thing I want to say too is uh, my sister-in-law was a big help in getting me off the ground. Uh, she does a lot of Instagram and I had never touched Instagram my whole life. She held my hand and coached me through those first four or five months and really laid the roots mm-hmm. to get that Instagram account where it is now. And a big pitch to my platform is it's not all about my books. If you go look at my posts, of course, I mentioned my own work there. I'm a big sharing is caring kind of guy. And you'll see many indie authors running through my platforms. Yeah. And that makes it successful, too, because people don't want to see, hey, buy my book. Hey, buy my book. Hey, buy my book. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I also like to think of it as finding little gems. When I find uh, an indie gem with 30 or 40 reviews, I get excited because I want to share that book. I'm like, oh, wow, look at what I just found. (laughs) Yeah, right. Share the love. 
Now, another part of your marketing efforts included an entry to our awards program, the Reader Views Reviewer's Choice Awards, where someone's story ended up taking first place in our YA category and was our best teen young adult book of the year. And I mean, wow, can you tell us how that felt? Yeah, yeah, that was a special moment for sure. So I had been in a many competitions. I felt Someone's Story was a good competition book and uh, I hadn't had any big wins yet. I was always a finalist. So I, I kept getting the runner up prize or the finalist badge. And <laughs> I had kind of just accepted my place and was had moved on. I, I hadn't didn't even remember I had more contests out there. So I woke up one morning, go to my email and I see this announcement and I'm like, wait a minute, is that my name? <laughs> And so the first thing I did was I grabbed my girlfriend. I was like, can you read this for me? <laughs> Just, it was a little surreal. And uh, once we confirmed that I had indeed won them, I, I had to get through that shock. And one of the things it definitely did for me was motivated me because I had been working on my next book and I, I was close to publishing it, but I wasn't very happy with it. And when I won that award, it really refocused me. And I said, I have to deliver a really good book because now I'm an award-winning author and I have to keep that level there. <laughs> pressure. Now you're under pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's not a bad thing. Uh, pressure makes diamonds. And it's like that pressure, that award win and the pressure it generated definitely picked up the pace I was writing with and helped me f to the finish line. Yeah, yeah. Well, congratulations. Almost two years later. <laughs> it, it's, it, you know what? It takes a long time to get a book published if you go the traditional route. And it takes a long time to win an award. If I had gone the traditional route and tried to win an award, it would have been four years later. Yeah, you might not have even been published yet, actually. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's a big thing with uh, indie authors going the self-publishing route. You can cut a year off of the end of the line procedure. And it really is a interesting tool. If you're starting from scratch and trying to launch, consider that self-publish. Yeah, because, well, you have more control also. And, um, you know, you, I think you have to be willing to put in a little more work. But I don't think you have to be willing to put in a lot more work because, you know, nowadays, even the big publishers don't do a whole lot of marketing for for their authors. So, yeah, yeah, I think if you're w willing to do the social media time. So if you commit to putting your five to 10 hours a week in on social media, self-publishing is definitely a great tool to get your name out there, to get your first couple hundred fans on board. And if you go to a small press publisher they're going to basically give you the same tools you'd get as a self-published author. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Now, fast forward a couple years, almost a couple years later, you've written another novel. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Absolutely. So Pulse. Pulse was my first idea. It came to me back when I was going to film school. That was almost a decade ago. I had written a few short scripts and one of them was about a group of people attending a music festival, staying in a cabin, and then a creature gets loose at the festival. And we feel the cabin people perspective on this creature outbreak at the festival. Then there was a second short film about a detective stumbling into the same creature. Now, anyone who's read Pulse knows that those two themes come through in spades in the final manuscript. <laughs> so these two ideas are a decade old. And what changed in the decade was we went through COVID and I got a lot of firsthand experience to what a outbreak might look like. Right. And I picked up a ton of business, politics and climate change knowledge that I wove into the plot. 
Yeah, yeah. And and I didn't realize that Pulse was your first idea because I, I know I remember thinking after I read Pulse that, wow, this is on the total opposite end of the spectrum from someone's story. Yeah. So one of the reasons I shelved Pulse, because I was sitting there kind of brainstorming what I was going to write about. And I had Pulse as a rough manuscript, but barely any words were there, maybe 10,000 words from those two short films. Mm-hmm. And I threw it on the back burner because it was very complex. There's a lot of moving parts going on. And as a first project, I think it was an impossible feat to try to tackle. Yeah. Okay. And someone's story really materialized as me learning how to be an author. And I picked up this amazing toolkit that is on full display then for Pulse. That's true. Yeah. So if Pulse had been your first, you wouldn't have had all the tools that you... you... No, I don't. Like, Because one thing I do, and I do this in someone's story... I have this very script style immersive writing mm-hmm. and I really perfected it writing someone's story. If I had tried to perfect it while writing Pulse, there was just too many POVs. I don't think my bounces would have been as clean because mm-hmm. I bounce POVs a lot in Pulse and I do it a little bit in someone's story. It's just like I'm teasing the skill. Right. So is someone's story finished? Will there be a sequel or... Did someone graduate and he's riding off into the sunset? (laughs) So I always had this idea in the back of my mind that the only way I would add or change to the story would be if it ever turned into a film. And I do have an idea for a little bit of extra. I wouldn't call it an, it's almost like a novella that I would add to the end, maybe 10 to 20,000 words. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of stored away lock and key for now and if i ever get that chance that call from the agent or whatever i have this idea for how i would grow it 10 15 percent okay interesting yeah because i kind of want to learn more about someone (laughs) yes there there is more to this story in my mind and i'm going to keep it under lock and key (laughs) okay all right so this is kind of an off the wall question but what is someone's obsession with blonde roast (laughs) (laughs) yeah So I honestly was not a coffee drinker until (laughs) my adult years. And I hate dark roast coffee. And I think it tastes like tar. (laughs) And so a lot of me is coming through there. Blonde roast is a very light, easy, you know, you add some milk to a blonde roast and it doesn't taste like coffee at all. (laughs) And I, I run with it. I'm not like that in real life, but I run with the idea and I make it this whole like 5,000 word arc in the novel. I know. I love that. <laughs> like, what is it and with this guy in blonde roast? Fun. Yeah. Everybody loves it. Everybody asks me that question. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So before we go, uh, I, I do want to invite you back to talk about uh, Pulse in more detail. In the meantime, is there anything else you wanted to add about someone's story or your you know, debut author experience. Yeah. So I'd love to come back and uh, anybody interested in more information, come find me on social media or on my website, B-A-B-E-L-L-E-C.com. I would say I'm a good resource for any new author. I love chatting with authors. So if you're new to the game and looking for some mentorship or just have some small questions, feel free to hit me up on social media. And I usually answer same day with most tags. Yeah. Okay, great. Sounds great, Brian. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, look forward to talking with you again soon. Yeah. Thank you for joining me today for my interview with Brian Bellick, author of Someone's Story. 
For more information about Brian and his work, visit his website at babellic.com. And be sure to check out all our interviews on InsideScoopLive.com. <laughs>